0: So Pastor Skip sends you his love, and uh, I have the privilege of introducing our guest teacher for this evening. Now, again, some of you know this from being here, I've had the opportunity to also be a guest teacher at times, and our hope and prayer every time that God has you all here and, and we don't have the opportunity to hear from Pastor Skip is to then expect something perhaps fresh and unexpected from God through A different teacher. And I have a great privilege of introducing Sam Cruz, who's our campus pastor in Santa Fe. And so he has roots here in New Mexico. His father's from Santa Fe. And uh, he felt called by God, along with his wife Hope and their two boys, uh, to the city of Santa Fe at the same time that we had been hoping and praying for God to provide a great campus pastor for Santa Fe. And earlier this year, that is exactly what happened. And so, brothers and sisters, this is Sam Cruz. Would you please give him a warm welcome? All right, brother, take it away.
1: Good evening, guys. How are you guys doing this evening? You guys good? Uh, It has uh, been a crazy 24 hours, has it not? Yeah, yeah, I would ask you guys to, to raise your hands if you stayed up. Like all night looking at the election stuff, but we'll actually be able to tell by you nodding off in this service. So there's no need to do that, right? Well, I have uh, good news and bad news for you this evening. All right, first the bad news. This evening I am speaking about politics. Some of you guys are thinking, oh man, like I have had enough of that, all right? There's been so many hours, so many weeks months, this whole year has been crazy. I do not need more talk about politics. Well, the good news is, I'm not talking about earthly politics, but a heavenly kingdom. Because the last time I checked, no matter what happens with the election, God is still on the throne. He is still in control. He has the future in His hands and He is coming back for us soon, is He not? Yeah. And but every single moment that we have here on earth, it's for a purpose. That's what we're talking about. We are talking about worship. So uh, just to forewarn you, this is not an expository uh, uh, Bible teaching, although we, we love that. We do that often. Uh, today, we are highlighting worship through different passages in the Bible. The, the main passage we will be in is Exodus 32. So you can go ahead and, and flip there and mark it. Another passage will be Mark chapter 14. And if you want extra credit, you can mark Genesis 15 as well. And as you guys turn there, I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you are still on the throne. God, we, we may be full of fear, full of questions, uh, full of, uh, of doubt even, God, of unrest, None of this has taken you by surprise. God, you are so good, and we thank you for that. Convict us where we need to be convicted, Lord. We pray that you would have every single part of our hearts, not just a little bit of it, Lord. Be blessed here tonight, God. Fill me with your spirit, and fill the listeners with your spirit as well. God, we want to be people filled with you, not of ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I have always been a dreamer. I've always been an idealist. It has not always benefited me well. One example of this was when I was 16, right? We all like good love stories here, right? Who likes a good love story? Well, this is a, a, a love story straight out of like the notebook. Not, not that I've seen it or anything. Don't, don't hold me to that, right? But, but it's a good love story nonetheless, one with a, a happy ending. I was 16 and I was madly in love with my girlfriend. You see, we, we just got in a fight and uh, but, but we were kind of solving that, mending things. We went on a date, and it was a beautiful spring day in Tennessee. See, the, the flowers were blooming. We were going on a walk. There was uh, uh, birds everywhere, kids playing in the background. The sun was shining. And then out of nowhere, it began to rain, right? So we run as fast as we can under the pavilion. If you could picture it, it is raining, but it is sunny as well. There starts to be a rainbow in the background, right? This is the most perfect scene ever. I grab her her hands, I look in her eyes, and I say, I love you for the first time. She looks at me back, she says, I love you too, John. See, my name is Samuel Elias Cruz, it's not John, <laughs> right? Actually, John was the, the, the whole reason we were fighting to begin with, it's the name of her ex-boyfriend. And you guys are saying, Sam, why are you telling me this? I thought that you said this had a happy ending. Well, it does, because my girlfriend and John are happily married, right, to, <laughs> to this day. But shortly after this, I met a girl who became my best friend, right? Her, her name's Hope. And then later, she became my beautiful wife, right? And we now have two crazy little boys together. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I learned two things that day, right, when, when, when I was 16. The first one is that love in the wrong direction has no value. It's completely useless. It is wasted. But then as I got married and and fell in love with my wife, I learned that if I were to hold back my love, if I, I were to refuse to die to myself, then I would be wasting my love on myself, right? It would be of no value, it would be completely useless. The same thing happens with our worship. Worship in the wrong direction, it has no value at all. It is completely useless, it is wasted worship. You see, but before we begin to understand how we waste our worship, we're gonna spend a a couple moments talking about worship itself. Why is it so important? And, And why do we worship? You see, we were all washed to worship. We were created for one purpose and one purpose only, To love God and to enjoy Him forever, aka to worship. But there was an issue. You see, we sinned. And because of our sin, we we separated ourselves from a holy and perfect God. We then lost the ability to worship correctly, we lost the ability to please God. That is, unless we have faith faith in a perfect Savior who lived a life that we could not, fulfilling every single part of the law and then taking our cross, our sin on his back, going to Calvary, having the wrath of God that was set aside for, for our sin poured out upon his very soul, but then he died and then rose again. It is only by faith in Jesus that we have the ability to worship. We were washed to worship. Hebrews eleven six says this, for without... Faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, without faith, we can't please God at all. But with faith, we have the ability to please him once again. Paul says when writing to the Ephesians, he says this. It's a verse that many of us are familiar with. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he goes on and say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We were washed to worship. You are God's workmanship, you are his masterpiece. He did not make a mistake when he created you. Not only that, but when he drew you to himself, he had good works that were prepared just for you to walk in. And those good works are worship. You see, you were not just saved for eternity, but you were saved for today. You were saved to serve. You have been brought into the family. And if you are a part of the family, you are a part of the family business. You have been purchased to praise and you have been washed to worship, amen? But why is worship so important? Something else begins to happen when we worship, whether it be God or idols. You see, scripture tells us plainly that we are what we worship. You guys have heard like you are what you eat, right? My wife told me just the other day that if you eat too many carrots, did you know that you start to become orange? Like that's a real thing. And not only that, but, but when I uh, uh, eat junk, I feel like junk, right? But if I, if I eat like a kale salad, I feel healthy for the whole week. You know what I'm saying? The same thing happens with worship. Only it's on a deeper, more spiritual level. Here's what the psalmist says in uh, Psalm 115. He says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trust in them. See, when we worship idols, we lose the ability to hear God. We lose the ability to see him in our everyday life. We lose the ability to, to feel him. Not only that, but, but we can no longer do his work effectively. Peter tells us in order to do God's work effectively, we have to purify ourselves to be honorable vessels when we worship idols we also can no longer make strides for the kingdom now don't hear what i'm not saying i want to make something really clear this is not a salvation thing right if you are a believer and you have placed your faith in jesus if you begin to worship idols god has not left you he is right there he will never leave you and he will never forsake you but he wants you to return to him he wants you to repent and he will meet your turning, your one step with a thousand more over because God is good and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So when we worship idols, we become like them. But what happens when we worship Jesus? You see, there's Romans eight twenty eight. A lot of you guys can quote this verse, right? As a matter of fact, I'm gonna have us all say it together. It says, and we know... And finish it off by yourself, guys. And we know that. Amen. So good, right? And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. A lot of us have quoted that verse hundreds of times over, right? But probably out of context. You see, because there's, there's a verse that comes right after that. What is the good that God works? You see, verse 29 is one we're not all familiar with. Maybe some of you are, right? You get extra points for that. But here's verse 29. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. So what happens is when we love God, he, he, he works all things together for our good, but the good is that he is making us more like Jesus. He is conforming us into the image of his perfect son. You are what you worship. If you worship idols, you will be like them. You will not have a voice, a testimony. You will no longer be able to feel God, uh, hear him, or see him in your everyday life. But if you love God, he works all things together for his good and his glory. He makes you more like Jesus. Now, let me ask you this may be a tough question, but evaluate your life. Do it right now in your seat. Which are you more like? Look at the past day, the past week, the past couple months, the past year. What have you been spending your time, your talents, and your treasure on? Is it the things of God or is it idols? Are we pouring out our worship at the feet of Jesus or are we wasting our worship? See, most of our days go like this. We wake up in the morning, we have our coffee because we we need coffee to even be normal, right? And then we we open our phones or maybe we turn on the TV. we, We inundate ourselves with hours and hours of news. We go to work for eight hours. We come home to a family. Maybe we have plans for the family. Maybe we're just trying to hold the family together. And then we spend more time on our phone. And uh, we, we go to sleep and then we do it all again. And that's the cycle. You know, mo- most people these days spend about six to 12 hours on their phone every single day. At the end of your life, that's on average 30 years wasted. That's crazy, right? What have you been spending your time, your talents, and your treasure on? Because I guarantee you, to you, whatever you worship, you will be like. You See, I'll be the first one to say, I've missed the mark. I'm guilty. I have wasted my worship. So what do we do about it? How do we identify when we are wasting our worship, and how do we turn things around and use our worship for good? Luckily, we're not the only ones who have done this. You see, there, there have been uh, people who have gone before us and, and who have made greater mistakes than us and we can learn uh, from them. That way we can save ourselves some pain. And that's where the Israelites come in. Right? Uh, and we are in Exodus 32. Let me read it for us, verses one through six. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed... Coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as is Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast for the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We waste our worship when we compromise. And compromise is contagious, is it not? There was a New York man who, who moved his family from New York out west to buy a ranch. Right? They, they also uh, bought hundreds of cattle. But their family was debating on a name for the ranch. You see, the, the, the dad wanted to name it the Bargey. The, the the wife wanted to name it uh, Susie Q. One of their kids wanted to name it the Flying W and another one of their kids wanted to name it Lazy Y. So eventually one of their friends came to visit the, the cattle ranch. And uh, uh, he, he said, hey, did you guys ever decide on a name? He said, yeah, of course we did. You know what we did? We, we compromised. We called it the Bar J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y. He's like, are you serious? And then uh, as, as he's taking the tour, he realizes there's no cattle. He's like, what happened to the cattle? He said, none of them survived the branding. And such is what happens when we compromise, is it not? We get burnt and we have scars that we were never intended to bear. You cannot sin in a vacuum. It affects and infects more than you ever thought it would. Some of you guys have heard it said like this. Sin will take you further than you want to go, and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will also cost more than you want to pay. That's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. You see, they were in bondage for 400 years. They were praying, calling to God to set them free. God finally does. They they are in the wilderness for just 40 days, and they begin to doubt. Moses went on the mountain to, to seek God, but while Moses delayed, the people of Israel began to doubt. They go to Aaron, they say, Aaron, make us gods. You know, we, we want a God that we can see, that we can feel, that, that we can control. Make us gods. And Aaron knew better. He should have stopped them right there and said, No, we're going to worship the one true God of Israel. But instead, he responds with one sentence. He says, give me your earrings. He begins to to melt them down. And he makes a calf. And uh, he presents it to the people. And the people begin to say among themselves, Israel, this is the God that delivered you from Egypt. Now, I do not believe that this was Aaron's plan. I, I do not believe that, that he was willfully creating something for, for them to worship, for, the, for them to sin in this way. And we, we can uh, kind of get that from what he says in the text. You see, he, he responds with, tomorrow will be a feast for the Lord. You're like, how does that work? Put yourself in Aaron's shoes for a second. He takes their earrings, and, and we're going to get back to the earrings later on. Just hold that, right? The earrings are important. We're going to find out where they come from and, and, and what's the whole deal with them. But he takes, he's, he takes the earrings, he melts them down, and it says he begins to fashion. He takes his time on this thing. He presents it to the people. And you can just imagine how Aaron felt when they began to worship it, right? He's like, I have made a mistake. What, what are they doing? I mean, I, I love that they're worshiping this idol, but they're not worshiping the one true God of Israel like they should be. I know what to do. We'll compromise, right? We will worship God, but we will use this calf to do so. The next day, Aaron had to have been pleased when he saw the, the Israelites coming with their offerings. They had the best of the best. And in Aaron's mind, he probably thought they were bringing them to God to lay at the altar. But what happens next is utterly disgusting. You get it, because cows have udders, and yeah, it's a free one. They begin to eat and drink and rose up to play. They, they commit drunkenness, sexual immorality, even as, as would uh, like make the Gentiles bless during that time. Definitely not to be among God's people. So what happened is as they began to worship this idol, they doubted God, they couldn't see him, they couldn't feel him, and then they also lost their voice. See, the, the other nations looked on, they were like, is this the Israelites? Is this the people whom God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Uh, Followed and and, and led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, is this them? The Israelites were committing grotesque sin. How did they get this far? See, we do the same. You might be thinking, how do we do the same? I've never worshiped a, a metal cow before, right? I've never just found myself in that predicament. But we commit idolatry all the time. Colossians 3, 5 says this, Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, Paul is saying to covet, to, to have greed means to be an idolater. And we may say, hey, I, I, that, that's cool, but I haven't done the other stuff before. Right? I haven't fornicated. I'm not unclean. I haven't had like really evil desires, at least not as evil as, as some people well, Jesus takes it a step further, and Jesus says, If you've even had that stuff going on in your heart, then you are guilty before God. Every one of those sins, also, the root of it is greed. It's not being content with what the good Lord has given you. But it's never too late to repent. And when we do, we find mercy and grace at the throne of our great God. Spurgeon says it this way. Nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. And those of us who have been there, we know that's so true, right? The world never satisfies. What I want to spend my time on never satisfies Right? what 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 I'm I'm left to if I'm left to my own evil sin my own evil desires what I do with that it never satisfies but when we come to God we learn that he is oh so precious God is worth our worship you see the people of Israel they get an opportunity to repent and some of them will but before we get to the repentance We need to see, how did we get here? How did we get here? And what's the big deal with these rings anyway? Well, we learn those answers in Genesis chapter 15. You see, the story actually starts 400 years before Moses. And a lot of us are familiar with the story. So I'm going to summarize the first 11 verses for us. You see, Abram... He leaves his family. God God says, leave your family. Leave all of your uh, 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 family members behind. Leave the land where you grew up and go to where I tell you. Eventually, Abram does. And then God uh, appears to him. And he says, Abram, behold, I am your shield. I am your protector, your exceedingly great reward. Now, imagine if God said that to you. I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your security. I am here to protect you. What would be your response? I'd be blown away. Abram's response is, that's great, Lord, but what will you give me, <laughs> right? That's awesome, Lord. I, I love you too, but what will you give me? You see, because I don't have any sons and, and the, the, the heir of, of my household, his name is Eleazar. He's not even a direct member of my family what will you give me, Lord? I love that no question is too big for God. God answers Abram's question right there. He says, Abram, go outside and look at the stars. Try to count them if you dare. Such as uh, will be your descendants, they will be too great to number. He says, Abram believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. No question is too big for God. Not only that, but God controls the future and he is not afraid to call his shots. It reminds me of Babe Ruth way back in the day, just pointing over the fence. Only our God is batting a thousand, right? He hits a home run every single time. God puts Abram to sleep. And as he, he, he sleeps, God uh, uh, starts to tell Abram a clear vision of the future that's where we pick up in verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be stranger in a land that is not theirs. And they will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. Also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions." Now, now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down, that it was dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land... From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. God is worth our worship. He is worthy of it. You see, what happens is God begins to tell Abram a clear vision of the future. He says, Abram, you're going to have descendants. You're going to have blessing, but not in your timing. It's going to be in my timing. God's timing is always a little bit slower than ours, is it not? But then he tells Abram exactly what's going to happen. They're going to be slaves in a land that is not theirs for 400 years. Then after that, I will deliver them. And, and as if that wasn't enough, I will give them great possessions, such as food or maybe clothes or, or, or maybe even earrings. And then God begins to seal the deal. He tells Abram, hey, take these animals, cut them in half, lay them on either side. And uh, why does God do this? And uh, it's not just to prove that slow-cooked barbecue is straight from the Lord, even though it is, right? It's another reason. He is making a promise, a covenant. See, there was a a politician who uh, went from the States to a a village in a third world country. And he he met with the chief of the village and said, hey, what are your two biggest needs? I want to meet them today. The chief said, okay, our first need is that we need a doctor. Uh, so the politician gets on his phone, he's talking for 30 minutes, he, he finally gets off, he goes to the chief and says, okay, I, I, I got you a doctor. He said, what, what's your second need? And The chief said, uh, we don't have cell phone service for the next 100 miles, right? We need cell phone service. So the, the, the politician was pretending to be on the cell phone the whole time. You see, the promises of man are empty. See, some of us are sinful. We're like, oh, I know exactly who that was. You know? <laughs> but but that's, that's not the case. You see, Numbers 23, 19 says this. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God is faithful, even though we are not and his promises, every single one of them are yes and amen. They are as good as cash. We could take them to the bank every single time. You see, the, the uh, smoking oven came down. And the, the oven represented the glory of God, just like the, the cloud represented the glory of God as the Israelites went through the wilderness. The torch came down. And it represented the presence of God. Just like the the pillar of fire represented the presence of God in the wilderness. And then the glory of God and the presence of God begin to pass through the animals. Some scholars think it was straight through. Some scholars think it was a figure A. Either way, the truth remains the same. God was saying to Abram that day, "I I would rather be like these animals than to go back on my promise with you. I'd rather be in the dirt. I'd rather be cut in half. I would rather be lifeless. I would rather be dead than to break my promise with you. He was making a covenant. Now, the closest thing we have to this in our modern age is a wedding ceremony. Now, just picture it with me, right? You have flesh people on one side right? Flesh or people on the other. Two people walk down the aisle and they say before God and man, I would rather be dead than to go back on my promise. But even this comparison falls short because Abram wasn't agreeing to anything. He was asleep the entire time. You see, Abram could not even lift a finger to participate in this covenant with God. It it was 100% on God himself to make it and to fulfill it. And God is able. Nothing is too big for him. Not our questions, not our, our doubts about the future. And even though we are faithless, he is faithful every single time and everything happened just as God said it would. Shortly after this, Abram got a new name. You see, his, his name was then Abraham. Not only that, but, but he had a son. First, he had a a son by his own hand, Ishmael, which was sin, not as God said it it would happen. But then he had the son of promise. He had Isaac. Isaac had 12 sons. One of those sons was Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. But what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. And God used Joseph to save his brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the, the other 11 sons in the midst of a famine. You see, and and God gave Joseph favor from Pharaoh. And the people of Israel multiplied. But they began to multiply so much that they began to outnumber even the Egyptians. There came a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. that didn't know his reputation, didn't know how helpful he was. And he just saw the, the number of Israelites that were there and he was threatened by them. So he enslaved them. And they were slaves for 400 years. Just as God said would happen. But as the people of Israel toiled, the Lord took note. As they were enslaved, God was planning an end to their slavery. And he was doing so by 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 the name of a guy, Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh and he brought 10 plagues. The last one was the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh was saying, hey, get out. He could not get them out as fast as they could. But Moses gave the people of Israel a command. Hey, when you guys leave... I want you guys to ask for their possessions, right? As if freedom isn't enough, I want you to trust that God's going to give you favor. So they they obey. They get food, clothing, maybe some scarves, but then they also get jewelry. You see, so the Israelites go to the Red Sea, decked out in their new bling, and then they begin to doubt because right behind them is the enemy and the enemy wants to take them out. The enemy changed uh, their mind. They wanna kill them. The Israelites say to Moses, why did you bring us this far just to kill us? And God said, watch this day because you will experience salvation. God says, what are you guys waiting for? Go forward, the people of Israel do and the Red Sea begins to part. There's water on both sides. Now imagine you're one of the Israelites and you grew up hearing the promise of Abram and how the presence of God, the glory of God came down and passed through the animals. And you too, just like Abram, have left your past. You too, just like Abram, are walking forward in faith. You too, just like Abram, are getting a new name, no longer slaves in Egypt, you are the children of Israel. Not only that, but there's water on both sides. And God is making an an aisle that is specific for his people. You see that when the people of Israel go through it, the Egyptians try to follow and they are swallowed up. God is saying, this aisle is reserved for my people and my people alone, the people whom I love. And I cannot help but think of the promise of Abram and God saying, I would rather be dead I would rather be cut in half. I would rather be lifeless. I would rather be swimming with the fishes than to go back on my promise with you. God's promises are yes and amen every single time. And he is faithful to fulfill them. Even when we have questions, even we, when we have doubts about the future, even when we are faithless, God is faithful and he is worthy of our worship. See, I wish that were the end of our story. But unfortunately for us, it's not. Because we're back to Exodus 32. You see, Moses went up on the mountain to seek God about what they should do next. But while Moses delayed, the people of Israel doubted. And as they waste their earrings on an idol Moses is seeking instruction for how to use those earrings for worship. Now, this is important. This is in Exodus 25, verses 1 through 3. Here's what God says to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly. With his heart you shall take my offering. This is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold. Silver and bronze. The Israelites did not have anything that was their own when they were enslaved. You see, everything, every one of their possessions that they had after this came from the favor they got with the Egyptians when they got out of slavery. But those earrings were not to be used on their own idols. God had a specific purpose for those earrings. It was to build him a sanctuary, to build him a tabernacle, to build him a temple. You see, instead of building a temple, the Israelites wasted the earrings on their own temptation. Instead of humbly giving the offering to God, they were humiliated before all of the other nations. And instead of worshiping, and and, and participating in something that would have eternal value, they wasted their worship. C.S. Lewis says, the only things we can keep are the things we freely give to God. And the psalmist in Psalm 50 says, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field, they are all mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine in all of its fullness. Everything we have belongs to God anyway. And it it is not meant to be spent on our own pleasure. Sometimes God gives us a blessing for a purpose. And that purpose is to pour it back at his feet in worship. Not only this, but 1 Corinthians 6 Verses 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, the Israelites, they were supposed to build a temple. We are called to be a temple. Not only are our possessions God's, but our very bodies belong to him as well because we were bought at a precious, precious price. So no matter what we do, whether we eat, drink, whether we work, whether we love our families, whether we have a relationship, whatever it may be, we must do it out of worship. It is not okay for us to make plans and then to ask God to bless it. It is not okay to say, hey, God, I know you gave me this stuff. I, I, know, I know you gave me time, talent, treasure, whatever it may be. I know you gave it all to me. I'm just going to make my, my plans and, and, and you'll bless it because you always do. I'm just going to accept this job offer without praying to you. I'm just going to jump into this relationship. I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to spend all of my time staring at this little device, and you'll bless it. That's not what we're called to do. We are wasting our worship. We must be temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of Jesus. Imagine Moses' excitement to deliver this news. Hey Israel, I have some, some great news for you. But then he makes it down and, and he hears what's going on. And then he sees it. He proceeds to break the Ten Commandments that God had just given to, to him because the Israelites had already done that on a, on a literal and spiritual level. He then does something strange, he begins to melt down the idol he has the people of Israel drink it. Why would he do this? Is this cruel and unusual punishment? Maybe. But two things happened when they drank uh, the, the water that was, had the idol in it. The first was they had a bitter taste in their mouth that would not soon be washed away. The second is as the, the, the idol water began to pass through their bodies, they would literally see the value of their idol worship. It became bodily waste. It was useless. It was worth nothing. It was literally wasted. But God is merciful, is He not? And He is worthy of our worship. So they get an opportunity for repentance. Moses goes to the people, he says, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come stand next to me. How how happy would you be to hear this news? Hey, I've sinned against the Lord. I have messed up in a bad way. I have an opportunity to be on the Lord's side. All 12 tribes heard this news and how many responded to it? Just one. Only the Levites got up and stood next to Moses. Now this is a side note. You'll have to study for your own, but a lot of scholars believe this is why the Levites were called to serve in the temple because they were the tribe to repent. Again, a lot of debate, go study for yourselves. Uh, that's just extra. But why did they not repent? They, they, they were given a, a, a way out. They were given a way to make things right, to be on the Lord's side, to turn from their sin and turn to God. Why say no? It's not written in here, but, but we can probably guess a couple of reasons because we are sinners ourselves. The first one is they, they, maybe they liked their sin. Maybe they were like, hey, this is a good thing we have going on. We can just do whatever we want and say, hey, this is for the Lord, and then it's all okay. Maybe the second one was they took the grace of God for granted, saying, God will forgive me. See, there, there was a, a boy who, who prayed often for a bike. And then one day, his friends see him riding a brand new bike down the street. They're like, oh, your your prayers worked. He said, not exactly. I I realized God didn't work like that. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. (laughs) You see, a lot of us live our lives this way. We do whatever we want. Then we say, God will forgive me. God will bless it. It will all be okay. Maybe they took the grace of God for granted. Maybe they said, I know God will forgive me but I can't forgive myself. I mean, I've messed up so much. I I, I don't know how I could forgive myself and and, and go back to where I was. I'll I'll never go back, so I might as well keep going this way. Timothy Keller says, when people say, 'I I know God forgive me, but I cannot forgive myself, they mean they have failed an idol whose approval is more important than God's. If God forgives you if, you, if he says you are clean, then you are clean indeed, amen? He knows where you've been, and he loves you. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you are willing to accept that, then there is grace and mercy found at the throne of Jesus, and he has a plan for your life. And he will use all things to work together for good to make you into the image of Jesus as you worship him. God is worthy of our worship. 3,000 people died that day because they were unwilling to repent. Now, we could end here, right? But I think all of us would want to end on a more positive note because there is a correct way to worship. And we find that in Mark 14. Verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table... A woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil with spikenard. Then she broke the flask. She poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. They criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray them. God welcomes wasted worship. See, all of Jerusalem at this time, they were expectant for the Messiah. The one who would come and set them free from their bondage who would establish a a political kingdom here on earth and make everything right. They were looking forward to freedom. Everybody was looking forward to this savior. But then Jesus was not the savior that they were expecting. You see, he he wasn't coming to make everything right here on earth. Instead, he was spending time at a party, a dinner party at the house of a guy named Simon the leper. You see, I love this story. I think it's one of the most worshipful passages in all of scripture. It's actually in three of the gospels. And all three of the gospels give us a clearer picture. We see that Simon hosted. Lazarus sat and spent time with Jesus. Martha served as she always does. The disciples argued yet again about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But then in walks this woman she walks in with a flask now we know exactly how much this thing cost it was 300 denarii which was a year's wages it was definitely a blessing in that time it was extremely costly most scholars think it was her dowry now this is significant it would be her 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 payment for marriage now why does this mean so much Because marriage during that time, it was not just so that you wouldn't be alone. It was your security. When you got old, your kids would take care of you, right? You didn't have a 401k. This marriage and family was it. So she comes holding this thing that represents everything that Israel values at this time, everything the world values. And then she breaks it. I mean, you could just picture the gasps. She begins to pour it on the head of Jesus. And John tells us that she got down and began to wash his feet with her hair. And the disciples said, why this waste? True worship is wasteful. You see, you may, people, people from the world, your friends may say, why do you serve at Calvary? Why, why do you go there every Sunday, every Wednesday, spend that much time, and then you work for free? Not only that, but, but you give at least 10% of your income to, to Jesus? What does that even mean? That is such a waste. Well, to them it's waste, but to our God, it's worship, amen? The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil and the fragrance was on Jesus. You see, shortly after this, Jesus would walk through an aisle of people having our, our cross, our sin, on his, his back. And as he passed by, their nostrils would be filled with a fragrance. And not only that, but, but Mary's hair had the fragrance on it as well. And, and women didn't wash their hair like they do these days. And even if they did, the, the oil would stay on their hair for a lot of time after because there weren't shampoos and conditioners and, and those such things. So when Mary would go about town, People just from the smell could, could say, this is a woman who worshiped Jesus. It can be the same for us, not by your smell, right? But our good works, our worship can be an aroma to the Lord. And God says, do good works that people may, may look on and glorify your Father in heaven. Everything we do must be out of a heart. worship. Mary got something that the Israelites didn't. You see, they, they sought to build a temple. Mary was the temple. You see, she also got something the disciples did not get. The disciples thought the plan was to establish a political kingdom, a government, that would make everything right, that would fix all of their problems. And they were arguing about who would be the greatest in this kingdom, who would be Jesus' second in command, who would be his third. But while the disciples argued, Mary acted. She acted in faith that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, the savior of the world, that he was the king, that he was uh, the king of heaven and of earth, and that he would die, but he would be risen again. She placed her faith, not in an earthly kingdom, but in a heavenly one. And she placed all of her security in there as well, pouring out her possible dowry, her future, her future kids and security right there at the feet of Jesus. The disciples wasted their time on who would rule, but Mary poured out her worship on the one who ruled her heart. Now, I mentioned in the beginning, this is a political message, right? Who's ruling your heart? Is it truly Jesus? Or would your screen time say otherwise? Jesus says, Mary has done a good work. I love that word good. There's two words for good in scripture. One is agathos, which means morally good. And the next one is kalos. And it means beautiful. And it means beautiful, uh, beautiful out of heart but also beautiful in appearance. Beautiful in every single way. True worship, though wasteful to the world, is beautiful to our great God. Is what I find interesting here. As I said, this is one of the most worshipful passages in all of scripture. Everybody's worshiping except for the disciples. We need to take that to heart. Because we can so often deceive ourselves, saying, "I'm okay. I've been walking for Jesus. I've been walking with Jesus for this long, this many years. I mean, I've been discipled by by such and such person. I mean, I mean, I, I've, I've worked here. Maybe I've been on staff at Calvary. Maybe I've been a part of a serve team. Here's my resume. God, I, I, I'm okay. I haven't wasted anything. Everybody was worshiping except those who thought they were closest to Jesus. Simon hosted." He had Jesus over for dinner. And some of you may be thinking, "Ah, that's awesome, but I can't do that. Well, Jesus says, when we get to heaven, he's he's gonna say, hey, thank you for giving me a glass of water when I was thirsty. Thank you for clothing me when I didn't have any clothes. Thank you for feeding me when I was hungry. And the righteous will say, I I didn't see you hungry or thirsty or naked. I, I didn't do any of that. Jesus says, if you've done so for the least of these, you've done so for me. Martha served. And, and, and she's done this before. But we notice a change in Martha. She serves silently. She serves with the correct heart this time. See, all of us have been there. We, we, we've been serving thinking, I am doing all of the work. Why don't these people join me? I mean, do they know how, how hard I work? That's where Martha was in the beginning. The last time she hosted Jesus for for dinner. But this time, she's serving behind the scenes, and she is serving her Savior. Lazarus was spending time with Jesus. You see, I, I, I think this is important. and cannot be overlooked. How much do we spend time with Jesus? You see, people looked on at Lazarus, and, and, and they, the, the Jews wanted to kill him again. You know, his death didn't work the first time. More people are following Jesus. We we need to kill this guy again, as if they didn't learn their lesson, right? I think this is part of the reason. He was spending time with Jesus, and he was becoming like him. It showed. And then Mary did a good work. He may be thinking, okay, I can serve, I can I can I can be Jesus's hands and feet, I can spend time with Jesus. But how do I do a good work? How do I do what Mary did? Spurgeon says this, "'Oh,' cries a brother, "'tell me what I could do for Jesus.' "'Nay, but brother, I must not tell you. "'The better part of the whole matter "'will lie in the uh, hallowed ingenuity of your spirit, "'in inventing something for him "'out of your own fervent soul.'" If Mary was commanded to do this for Jesus, it would not have been as beautiful. Maybe you're, you're sitting in your seat and you know exactly what Jesus is telling you to do. It makes you uncomfortable. It's scary. How can, how can I, I pour that out at the feet of Jesus? I mean, it's, it's, it's so wasteful, is it not? But the, what the world says is wasteful. God sees as good, as beautiful, as precious in his sight. So I'm not going to tell you guys to to do one thing one way or the other, but I will encourage you, evaluate your heart. Choose one thing. What's one thing that like the earrings out of the ears of of the Israelites, that they said, hey, this is mine, and I'm going to do whatever I want with it and ask God to bless it. What's that one thing? For you, what is that earring? that you've said, hey, my my time, my treasure, my talent, this job, this relationship, I've been holding it here and I have not given it to Jesus. I will encourage you, write that thing down. But then also repentance is not just saying no to something, it's doing a 180, it's turning to Jesus. I would ask that you would replace that thing with something else, whether it be service, unrecorded time with Jesus, doing a good thing for him, something beautiful, out of your own fervent soul or being the hands and feet of our Savior. Now, I want to close with uh, one thing. It's a story, right? God welcomes wasted worship. So I was six years old and my my parents had a tradition. We'd go to the store and uh, they would let us pick out an ornament to put on the tree. Now, my sister picked out like a, a multicolored angel, right? It was pink, purple, like rainbow colored. She was so excited to put it on the tree. I knew exactly what I wanted. I passed all of the, the angels, all of the snowflakes, all of the, the ornaments, and I went right to the candy canes. You see, I picked the blueberry flavored candy canes. And before we even got inside, I asked my dad, can, can I eat them? Can I, can I have them? He says, wait until after Christmas because Tomorrow, we're gonna hang them all on the tree, right? That's the whole purpose of why we bought them. So uh, a couple hours later, my dad comes out in the living room and says, did you listen to me when I said not to eat those? I said, Dad, of course I did. I'm six years old. He He takes me to the restroom. He says, look in the mirror, and I see it. There's blue all over my face, all over my hands, all over my shirt. I am busted. So I have two decisions. I could confess, or he could do what I did, and I ran as fast as I could, hit my dad with a spin move, and I was out, right? He ran straight into the bedroom, he, uh, into my, my parents' master bedroom. He ran around. I jumped over the bed, was out the door, and then my feet came off of the ground, and I knew I was in trouble, right? I was disciplined that day because a good father disciplines those whom he loves, right? But the worst part was I didn't have anything to put on the tree. I had wasted it. I couldn't participate in that tradition. So the next day, as my uh, sister was hanging what she got on the tree, I began to cry, begin to confess about how sorry I was. It was in that my mom pulled out a package of brand-new candy cans and allowed me to, to hang them on the tree. See, even though I sinned, even though I had an idol and acted on it, even though I wasted, I was still a part of the family. And there was grace to be had. If that can happen in an earthly family, how much more in a heavenly one? Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I, I don't think I'm a part of the heavenly family. Don't wait. Do that today. Maybe you're here and you're saying, man, I, I, I am a part of the family, but I'm just like you were when, when, when you were six years old. I, I have blueberry all over my face, and I think I can hide it, but, but everybody in God knows that I am guilty. Repent. Don't wait, because God welcomes wasted worship, and he welcomes those who have wasted their worship before. Turn to him today, and you will find forgiveness at the foot of the cross amen Amen. let's pray God we thank you that you are still on the throne God so many thoughts are clouding our minds day in and day out God we inundate ourselves with bad news every single day but you are good allow our worship to be a fragrance God sweet to your nostrils God, let our worship mark our lives that others may look on and glorify you. God, we do not desire to be like the Israelites, to to do whatever we want with what you've given us and ask you to bless it. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. God, we want to be on your side. We want to worship you. Now, I'm going to ask that every head stay bowed, every eye stay closed. I'm going to ask for two things right here, two very distinct things. The first one is if you want to be a part of the family of Jesus Christ, if you want to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and be his son, be his daughter, all you have to do is raise your hand right now. I'm going to ask you to do it. Just raise your hand and put it back down. Awesome. I see you. I see you. I see you. There's still time. Don't wait. Raise your hand. If you want to be a part of the family of Jesus, so cool. Now, church, I'm going to ask you to to pray after me, the whole church, along with these brothers and sisters who have placed their faith in Jesus Jesus, I am a sinner, I have fallen short but you are perfect. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross. You rose again from the dead. And you are seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I place my faith in you. Amen. Awesome. Church, let's give a hand for these brothers and sisters who are now a part of the family. Now, for those of you who are a part of the family, and you know who you are, you've got blueberry all over your face. You need to repent. I'm going to ask you to do that as well, but you can do that right after service. Come pray with us. We want to walk that journey with you. We want to celebrate with you. And we want to help you uh, turn your waste into worship. Amen? Awesome. Let's stand up and worship the Lord our God together.
0: We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory at calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at slash give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.